Let's pray together. Father, uh, help us to become wholly yours. Help us to remember in those times when we feel the most lost, the most desperate, are those times that we are not living in you. So, Father, today, help us to remember our need for you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If, uh, if there was ever anyone who was born from the beginning to be a great Christian, it was me. I was born the son of a pastor and a pastor's wife who were absolutely incredible people. My dad is a, is a great man, and when I, I wanted to grow up, to be just like him. So when people would say, when I was a kid, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Without even blinking, I would say, I wanted to grow up and be a bald-headed preacher just like my daddy. Unfortunately, the bald-headed part is coming through just a little quicker than I'd like. But that was absolutely my dream. Uh, being the son of somebody like my dad, who actually started new churches for a living, I had access to do ministry at a very young age that most kids would never have the opportunity to do. And as a result, by the age of 13, I'd preach my first sermon. By 14, I was door-to-door calling, inviting people to the church that my dad was starting at that particular time. By the age of 16, I had my own church. I was speaking every week for this little dying church with about 30 people who couldn't afford to have like a real pastor, so they all settled on me. And so I would get in there and I would preach every Sunday. My, one of my good friends was a pastor, so I would go and steal his sermons. He manuscripted, so I grabbed those sermons and I'd go and preach them on Sunday mornings. I'm pretty sure that by the time I was done, I went ahead on and killed that church dead because it's no longer with us. So you're just glad that you I worked out all the quirks back then. After high school, I went to Bible college where I studied the Bible. I mean, most of my classes were all about uh, dissecting the scriptures and really trying to understand the Bible inside and out. After I was done with Bible college, I served my internship, I was ordained as a pastor, I went on to help to start a new church that was wildly successful, and then something happened. I say all of that because if there was anybody from the beginning that was destined to be a great Christian, to be a great man of faith, it was me. And I blew it. I walked away from my relationship with God. It didn't take long when I was in the ministry to begin to feel unfulfilled in what I was doing. Somebody told me that by the age of 23 that I'd hit a midlife crisis. But I really, I couldn't do it anymore. I walked away from the church and I walked away from God. The problem was this. All the preparation that I made for ministry, all of my studying of the Bible, 
all of my growing up in the great traditions of the church, all of my parents trying to raise me in the ways of God was not enough. It was not enough to sustain my faith because I had to do it on my own. I had to do it myself, and as it turns out, I didn't have my own faith. I was living off my parents' faith and the faith that everybody else thought that I should be living. But I had not built a faith on my own with my own two hands where I had to work it out on my own. I was doing everything right, but all I was doing was going through the motions. I think one of the most difficult lessons for us to learn is that life apart from God is meaningless. If you remove God from the equation of your life, you also remove any sense of purpose and mission and hope. When we truly get that in the scheme of eternity, that our lives are nothing more than just a blip on the screen, it is only then that we can begin to find our place to belong in this world. Well, good morning, y'all. How's everybody? Good. I just want to say that uh, I think that Pastor Scott Alexander is in the house. Is Scott around? Yeah. For uh, those of you who don't know, uh, Scott was our fearless leader for many years and retired to go on to live a life on some little island out in the Caribbean where he has little umbrellas and his drinks now. No, uh, Scott is actually working in Haiti. Um, and uh, doing an incredible ministry there, so uh, it's awesome to have him in today. Um, We are in the middle of this uh, series called Authentic Church, where we're looking at the mission and the vision of Westridge and just kind of breaking it down into three sections. And, you know, everything that we do here, we really strive for a sense of authenticity about what we're doing. And just to be honest, there's a lot of times where we fall short. There's a lot of times where we aren't perfect as a church in getting that done. But in everything that we do, we strive to be authentic and do what we believe is what God is leading us to do. And in this series, we're breaking down our vision statement into these three words that we have uh, kind of coined here. And I think in order to help us to understand a little bit better on where some of that vision statement came from. I'd like to read a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And not only is my hair falling out, but my eyes are going too. It seemed like a good idea to try to get the little Bible, but holy cow. (laughs) But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. So this passage assumes that there is this process where we move from one place to another, right? We move from a life without God to a life with God. We live a life uh, metaphorically in darkness and we move into the light. We uh, led a life that we were once not a people and now we are a people of God. We once had not received mercy and now we have received the mercy of God. All of that points to the fact that there is this process that we go through where we move from one place to another in order to become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. And by the way, let me just say that this process is something that you choose to engage in. It's not something that you're forced into. It's not something that just somehow miraculously happens to you. You make a conscious decision to move forward and to live intentionally in God. This process of spiritual growth is what we call, at least around here, spiritual formation. Which is the idea that there is this lifelong process of growth and development of our inner selves where we focus less and less on our own selfish desires and more and more on becoming like Jesus. And in the big picture, from 30,000 feet, we see that happening in three different movements. And we've oversimplified this just to help people understand. Let me say it's way more complicated than that. But just to simplify it, we have broken it down into what we call the three E's. Where Westridge exists to help people encounter, embrace, and embody the radical love of God. This vision statement was born out of the observation that as we look around, there is very little grace in this world. We find a lot of bitterness. We find a lot of resentment. We find a lot of negativity and judgmental people, but very little grace. Last week, Gordon spoke on that first part of the vision statement, which is to help people encounter the radical love of God. And I have to say that I love it when I listen to people who visit Westridge who say, you know, you can really feel the love of God here. You can really feel the sense of grace and the acceptance of the people in this place. And I love that because I really believe that we are a church that really helps people to encounter the radical love of God. That's what I love about this place. But the very next part of that vision statement is a little more challenging because it envisions us taking a next step, moving from here to there, which isn't necessarily a natural step for a lot of us, especially those of us who didn't grow up in the church. And we refer to this movement as embracing. Embracing the radical love of God, which is to say that we move from just encountering the love of God and feeling the love of God to embracing it and owning it. To put it in very simple terms, it's the act of becoming a Christian. To become a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Now, this is also born out of the premise that there is more to being a Christian than just showing up on a Sunday morning. And in fact, going to church on Sunday mornings doesn't make you any more of a Christian than vacationing in Florida makes you a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. 
It doesn't work that way. Embracing the love of God is more than just being religious. It goes way beyond our just simply understanding the Bible or being a good person. This is about pouring your whole being into something. Because we're all going to fill our lives with something, and the question is, what will you fill your life with? So what is it? What is it that causes us to move from a Sunday morning faith to embracing a life where we authentically follow Jesus every single day for the rest of our lives? What is it? This embracing step, I think, is clearly stated in what has become one of the most defining verses in the entire Bible. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You can't do it on your own. It's a gift from God. And it's not by works. No matter how hard you try to be a good person, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it so that no one can boast that they're such a great person. It's a free gift. And this has the idea that God has offered each one of us this free gift of grace. In other words, the entrance requirement to get into heaven is that you have to be perfect. You have to be sinless in order to make the cut. But none of us are. So we're all in a little bit of trouble here, save one fact. While we were still a bunch of messed up sinners who were far from perfect, Jesus died for us. And because of his death on the cross, we can still be saved. We can still enter into heaven because when we receive that grace, when we receive his forgiveness, our sin is completely removed from our lives. The slate is wiped clean, and as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, that sin is removed from us, leaving us what? Perfect. Sinless. Not because we've lived a perfect life, but because of the grace of God. We now are able to enter into heaven. But, While God offers this free gift of grace to everyone, we still have to accept it. Or as we call it, embrace it through faith. Saved by grace through faith. Now herein lies the issue. Right? What the heck is that? What does that look like? How is that faith defined? Well, if part of understanding is what faith is, I think it's also understanding what faith is not. So let me start by saying that faith is not just belief. I think a whole lot of people have belief. Survey after survey over the last probably 20 years have indicated that over 90% of Americans believe, have a belief in God, and yet they probably wouldn't describe themselves as fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. And in the church, many times, we even confuse belief as being the same thing as faith. But it's much deeper than that. Look, even Jesus said, even the demons believe in God and tremble. 
So what's the difference between your belief in God and a demon in hell's belief in God? Just having a belief in God is not enough. You may believe that there's God. You may believe that you need God in your life. You may come to church every Sunday morning because of that belief. But if it just stops there, then you've fallen short. And our faith, then, is nothing more than a head thing. And if I'm going to call belief a head thing, then I'm going to go ahead on and call faith a heart thing. Because it's what drives the passion in our lives. Faith is also not what I call an on-demand faith. It's because I'm a big fan of the on-demand feature on the remote control. Why go to the red box when you could just do it on-demand? Love that. But this is kind of like fire insurance approach to the Christian faith. We put our faith in Jesus only when we need him. It's a type of faith, but it's more of a faith that's in a pinch, so to speak. And to be honest with you, this is where a lot of us are at here today. We keep our faith safely tucked away up on a shelf where we know where it is. And we only pull it out when we need it. But otherwise, we keep it hidden away. And that's the way many of us deal with God. When we're going through a tough time, we want to know that God's there for us, right? We whip out our faith and we pray like crazy and we lean on Jesus in those hard times. And then when we get through it, it's all good. Put the faith back up on the shelf. We take our faith. We put it back in ourselves. And God is nowhere to be found in our lives until the next time we hit a tough time. Sound familiar at all? And if we're going to say that on-demand faith is a matter of convenience, only when you need it, then I'm going to say that authentic faith, many times, is downright inconvenient. Because taking the next step and moving deeper in your relationship with Jesus will always require us to take a risk. It will cause us to move out of our comfort zone into something that is more uncomfortable than just having a simple belief in God. But the Bible, it talks about a different kind of faith. It talks about what we call a saving faith. An all-encompassing, life-changing, I-surrender-all kind of faith. A living, breathing faith that drives our life's purpose and our passion. All of the weight of everything that we do in our lives falls on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because there's a difference between just sticking your toe in the water and diving head first into the pool. It's a total, all-in commitment. Jesus put it like this. Someone once asked him, what is the greatest commandment? In other words, if we could just get one thing right in this world, what would it be? And Jesus said without even batting an eye, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart. With all your mind, with all your soul, with everything you got. And this is it. This is the whole point of the ministry of Jesus in a nutshell. He goes on and says, The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you get the first right, the second will come naturally. It's taking everything that you're about, 
All of your mind, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. In other words, everything that you are, everything that makes you, you. And pouring it all into just one thing. Loving God. Loving God more than you even love this life. I want to be clear about one simple fact. And this is from my own personal experience. Moving forward in our relationship with Jesus out of a sense of tradition or guilt or some sense of obligation or because it's the way that you were raised is not a sustainable model for spiritual growth. As we've talked about many times here, spiritual growth is not this linear process where there's this straight line where we just keep growing and we keep growing as we move forward in the years. Spiritual growth in reality is messy and it's dynamic and we spend our entire lives working through it, taking two steps forward and another step back. And there is only one thing that causes us to stick. There is only one thing that causes us to stay inspired, to continually stay close to God and to move forward in our relationship with God, and that one thing is gratitude. It's gratitude. It's only when we realize just how dark was the darkness we were in before we walked into the light of God. It's only we remember how lost we were when we were not a people and how it feels now to be a people of God where we have a purpose and a mission and fulfillment. To remember the sense of hopelessness of what it was like when we had not received mercy. But now, how it feels, the sense of joy and the sense of hope that we have Because we have received the mercy of God. It's only when we remember just how deep was the sin that was in our lives that we can fully grasp just how incredible is this radical love of God that he could even love a messed up person like me. When we get that, we become so overwhelmed with gratitude when we see where we've been and where we are that we just have to do something and that something flows out of us in so many different ways. It flows out of us in the form of worship where we actually sit in church and you look at those words on a screen when people are singing and at one time they meant nothing to us. But now that we are people of God, Those words, that song, fills our heart with a sense of joy and we sing at the top of our lungs even though we can't sing a lick. That now that we are living in the light of God, that all of a sudden we want to share that light and we want to serve other people because we want them to experience the same mercy that we ourselves were given. That because the grace that He has given us We now want to do things, not out of a sense of obligation, 
But we want to do things like read our Bible and pray because we want to get closer to God because we love him like crazy. We want to do crazy things like write a check for an offering because we are so wrapped up and in love with God that we want to express that gratitude and say thank you and we understand that the things of this world aren't where it's at because we love God more than we love this life. Look, here's the truth. Again, from personal experience. Our faith may waver from time to time. But it's our faith that makes us who we are. It cuts through all of the gray in this world and it gives my life color. It gives definition to our lives. It shapes the decisions that we make and the words that we speak. It causes us to live differently. I realize that the older that I get, the more I crave fulfillment and purpose in my life. And there is this growing awareness inside of me that what brings fulfillment in my life is not the stuff of this world. The heart of my joy can be found when the winds of heaven blow as I am sitting in those quiet moments and I feel a connection to God like I've never experienced before. This morning, you're standing at a crossroads and you're forced to make a decision. And by the way, no decision is also a decision. You can't live off the faith of your family anymore just because it's the way you grew up. It's not enough to just believe or to pray in a pinch. You have to build a faith with your own two hands that is born out of the pain and the hardship of the life that you have lived, that makes your faith real, that causes you to understand that you need Jesus. And the question is, will you embrace the faith that is worth way more than anything you will ever find in this world?